0: Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindiewest.org, or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Harvest, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13 today. Open your Bibles there if you would. Uh, Saul, King Saul, who's in place as king now with Israel uh, in these chapters, is about to get squeezed on every side. He's about to get squeezed. In fact, the question I kind of want to preempt this with is so that you and I kind of get our heads in that game, if you will, to even be able to relate this uh, into our lives. I'd just like for you to think, when has it been a time in your life when you've been squeezed? And by the way, I'm not just talking about like a test or, you know, a new job uh, interview or things like that. All of those are kind of tense, but I'm talking about something where life is just pressing in on every side. I mean, you feel squeezed to the point where maybe it's feel afflicted, perplexed, it just takes everything in you just to maybe make it to the next day, to the next week, the next month, into the next year. When's been a time for you like that? When's been a time for you like that? I'd love for you to have something in your life. Uh, maybe it's now. Maybe it's now. Um, I asked that, and I'm just going to be very transparent with you. Uh, for Karen and myself, it's been the last two years. Actually, um, eight years leading into the last two years, just eight years of seven days a week, uh, ministry poured out and planting and building and leading really has led to the last two years of just, frankly, we are just exhausted like I've never experienced exhaustion in my life before. And um, just with the schooling that I would had in completing my doctorate with other things, just going on with continued blessing and, and leadership of it all, I just, honestly, I just feel squeezed, I felt pushed, I feel pressed, I just feel to the point where it's poured out and in front of you, you know how this is when you get to those times and it's like everything weak about you, everything that you know you would like to change in your life ends up being right in front of your face. I mean, is that not like the worst thing in life when that happens? But I'll tell you, that's been the reality and uh, And so it's even for us, I don't say that in a complaining in any kind of way, some days I probably do, Um, but I say that in just being very transparent with you. When's been a time for you where you've been really, really squeezed in life, and maybe for a period of time? By the way, uh, there is uh, 28 days until our sabbatical. In fact, 28 days in about two hours. (laughs) First service was 28 days in four hours. (laughs) So we're getting there. Um, In fact, I'm also going to use that. I saw in our update, uh, just so that you know, on the inside uh, cover there, it tells about our fall sermon schedule. So uh, I'm going to be preaching on August 5th, and then after that, we're gone actually for three months. And you can see there, Pastor Eric's going to be preaching, and Pastor Nate's going to take two Sundays on a theology of go and and a life of go. And then uh, Josh, uh, who was a part of here before they planted down in Bloomington, He's going to be coming preaching. Josh is just a great preacher. Pastor Nick, our worship pastor, is going to be taking a Sunday. That's going to be sweet. And then Pastor Cody is going to pick it up. Pastor Cody is leading student ministries, working on his PhD. And I thought, ha, the guy doesn't have much going on in his life. So how about if I give him five Sundays? And uh, so he's walking through 1 John with us. Uh, during that time. And it'll be really good. Uh, Brock is the pastor of Harvest on the south side of Indy. He's going to be here. And then Brian White, he's on sabbatical right now on the north side of Indy. He's the Harvest up there. And then we're going to finish it strong. We're going to have uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer um, from Moody Church is going to be here first Sunday in November. And uh, you guys are going to be like, please just stay away. Just stay away and uh, in it. So, That gives you a little bit of info on that. So when's been a time for you where you've been squeezed? Saul's about to get squeezed today. And with that, just a question. Why does a sovereign, loving God, why does a sovereign, loving God allow his people to be squeezed in life? Why does a sovereign, loving God allow us to be squeezed in life? I was trying to think through that whole question anew this week, and then trying to sum it all down. And then uh, Tim Keller um, had the gall to sum it all down in a sentence. One takes me a week, Um, and here's his sentence. He said uh, he tweeted on Thursday, "There is no way to know who you really are until you've been tested. There is no way to know who you really are until you have been tested." Well, that's going to happen with Saul today. Things have been going well for the Israelites so far as we've been coming through. They've come where Saul is king now. Uh, Samuel is the prophet. One of the things to understand, very, very important with our chapter today... The Lord has established it. The Israelites demanded a king. Uh, God is offended by that because they're rejecting him as their king. But even in that, God has allowed for a structure, a new structure, a governing structure to take place. And that new structure is Saul is king and Samuel is the prophet. Now how that works is, is if you will, uh, Saul is like the functioning figurehead leader, prince, king. Samuel then is the one who is speaking as the prophet who brings the word of God into the situation. So how it works is Saul is never to be on his own. Okay, He is not to be like the kings of the nations. He is to be under the, the word and the movement and the guidance of the Lord. And Samuel is the one who is bringing the word of the Lord. And those two function inter, in, into each other now. That's the new structure. So when God puts up new structures, here's usually what God does. He tests them. He pushes them. He squeezes in on them to kind of allow to come out what is there, not for the purpose of crushing them, not for the purpose of embarrassing them or discouraging them, but to help them see uh, even what is there before and what's going on. So Saul is going to get squeezed today. It's mainly focusing in on him. So we're going to break this in two parts, Saul's desperation situation and then his dependence reality. Saul's desperation and then Saul's dependence reality. Um, A final note, if you're a a real thinker, a real reader, you go into chapter 13, and you'll find with some commentaries, they'll talk about some of the ancient manuscript issues. Uh, And and in that, I just want to say this, you can get, we can spend the time talking about all that and be very, very bored, but just know this, in the text, there are some manuscript issues here that we don't quite know a few things, but know this, the core of the of the information is there. We're talking about a couple small things on the side. So sometimes as we're reading your scripture, I'll say it this way. Verse one, we have no idea what it means. Verse one, we have no idea what it means. Let me, in fact, let me read to you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have the New International or New American Standard, listen as I read and you'll find out they don't don't fit at all. English Standard Version says this, Saul lived for one year, and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, then it goes into verse two. But, but when you have the New International Version, New American Standard, it says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. What? None of those match. So here's the deal. We understand, and there's some ancient ways of doing it, uh, understand, uh, we don't know verse one. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. God's word is God's word, and it doesn't affect anything, so we go to verse two. With me? Okay, so Lord, I ask for your help as we dive into your word. Show us more of who you are and uh, we will delight in you. And God, I do. Saul is being pressed here. I ask, would you press into us? Would you press into us that we would be able to see who we are? Grow us. Help us. And love on us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Saul's desperation situation, let's start there. Now, as I read, there's going to be a bunch of cities in this chapter. So here's what I'm going to attempt to do. I want for for you to see on the screen, it's in this area of Israel where all of this story is taking place. It's north of the Dead Sea, just west of the Jordan River. It's in that circle. Now, all of these places that are there are anywhere from two miles to about 15 miles in distance apart. So in it, sometimes I realize that when I sit here and I talk, and at times when I have map information, because it does matter in the whole movement of what's taking place, I can see eyes roll back. Like, who cares? So here's what I'm attempting to do today. This, hopefully this will be fun. Otherwise, I'll never do it again. I'm going to put up on the screen now the cities on the west side of Indianapolis, including Indianapolis. And I'm gonna, as I read through these names of these cities, you will, we will correlate them to the west side because I want for you to get a feel on the distance of things and the movement of things. And, and if I just tell you this, it's not gonna make sense. But seriously, the locations of all these cities on here are exactly like what fit us, So okay? So we're gonna feel it here and uh, we'll go with it and I may never do it again. All right, verse 2, let's start there. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash of Avon. All right, now why is Avon in the center? Well, duh. (laughs) All Avonites? Okay, wow, that was bad. Okay, here's the deal. We're here right now, and actually... This Michmash, the city, everything is moving around and through it. So it's very important. That's why I have it at the central. So Michmash is Avon. Uh, uh, 2,000 were with Saul here in Avon in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan. Jonathan, that's interesting. That's the first time this guy's name has come up in 1 Samuel. I wonder who he is. Maybe you know who he is, but I'm not going to say who he is because the text will tell us. With Jonathan in Gebeah, uh, south Plainfield, field uh, of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. That's plain field. There was Gebeah and Geba. They're near each other, about two miles from each other. And the Philistines heard of it and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines. Now, Jonathan was leading that, but Saul is king. This is normally how it is. There's no problem with what's going on here. Uh, That's how we would say it even in this day. And also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called to join Saul at Gilgal of Indianapolis. All right, what's going on? So there's uh sounds like victory. In fact, there had been victory in chapter 11. I'll say this, uh everything seems to be going really really well for the Israelites up to this point. In fact, we even see victory here. We even see that the Philistines have a stench uh for the Israelites in it. And and, and but something's just happened. Uh in this there's there's oriented here, and then Saul said, let's move to Indianapolis. So they've kind of gotten up, moved a number of them. They've moved it over into Indianapolis. Just keep that in mind because something's about to start taking place here. Verse 5, and the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. By the way, some of these areas, like the area between Um, if you will, Avon Plainfield, Avon Danville, Avon Brownsburg, all of these kind of areas is very, it's almost guerrilla warfare. There's some rivers that break them off and it's it's very, there's not trees, but in the desert area, it's very heavy brush. And so they literally had to do war like guerrilla warfare. But once you got to Avon and kind of towards Indianapolis, it opened up and so chariots could be unloaded through various areas with it. And so you get the idea, the Philistines are much, clustering this big multitude to come and to fight the Israelites. You're getting some sense of tension. And they came and encamped in Michmash of Avon. Wait, 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 wait. How could that be? How could it be that we first start the chapter, and in prior chapters, McMash is a very important place. And now Saul moves over into Indianapolis. I guess he wanted to be closer to the dome or something. And he moves over into Indianapolis, and now the Philistines are moving in and taking some things over. The idea here, pressure is building. The Philistines are on the move. What seemed like a victory ticked them off. And now they're unleashing their war arsenal And they're starting to move in. Let's keep going with the story. In fact, it's so big that verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed. By the way, not just Saul, but the people. The Israelites are now feeling pressed. They had just won a victory through Jonathan and Plainfield, but now the Philistines are moving in and taking over, and they're coming into Avon. The people are hard-pressed. In fact, they're so hard-pressed that the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead of Greenfield. Now, why do I say that? Because on the movement here, they're heading west, and the people are hightailing it out of Avon. They're not just wanting to stay in Indy. They're actually wanting to cross 465 in the Jordan River. (laughs) You with me? And they're heading to Greenfield. Like, who heads to Greenfield? Hey, we used to live there for a little while. It's okay. All right? So, and they're heading that far away. They just want to get away because the pressure's building. The idea is pressure is building. Saul was still in Indianapolis and all the people followed him trembling. I think you would agree if you were the leader of a whole bunch of people and they are running and hiding in holes and in tombs, in graveyards, and if you know they are scared to death, you're in a pickle agreed you're in a pickle as a leader bless king Saul's heart what's he going to do know this this is the first time we have now seen Saul really under pressure and what happens when we're under pressure the real us begins to show we can cover it we can front it but now the real is going to show verse 8 So what does he do? He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. Actually, this is good news. This is a good piece of information here. What would normally happen in that day when I was talking about how the king was the leader and then the prophet would be the one bringing the word of God, that's what's taking place here. Samuel told Saul, you need to wait for seven days. And even in ancient Uh, with the Israelites. This became and was a common practice. This happened in the book of Joshua with God's people. They were to wait. They were having time to settle and wait for the Lord to do a work. Consecrate yourselves and get ready. And here in this time, he's been told by Samuel, when Samuel speaks, Samuel is speaking for the Lord. And so the Lord is telling Saul to pause it in Indianapolis, if you will, for seven days and wait. And wait for the Lord to reveal and to tell you what you should do, where you should go, how you should make this all come down. But the pressure is building on Saul. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, Indianapolis, and the people were scattering from him, Saul. So Saul said... Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. Okay, I understand we don't have an offering, you know, like this kind of structure nowadays, so we don't get something. But something's noted, they're very important. There's two offerings that are taking place. There's the burnt offering, and then after the burnt offering is what? The peace offerings. There are two that go together, they move and sync. So the whole offering process is not done until the peace offering is done. Who cares about it? Uh, We do, because the text is very uh, interested in that we know. Why? Keep reading. And he offered the what? The burnt offering, which is the first offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Okay, on what day did Samuel come? He came on the seventh day. He came on the seventh day, and we know that because of the way the text tells us this. Hey, Saul gave the burnt offering, but he hadn't even on the seventh day given the the, the peace offering yet, and Saul came right in in between the two. Keep that in mind. Saul went out to meet him and greet Samuel, and Samuel said, what have you done? Why is he doing that? Because he sees that Saul has offered the burnt offering. And understand this, this isn't some selfish thing like, "Eh, I'm supposed to do that, like I wanted to do that before you did that. That's not what's going on. In the structure of it, this is Samuel as the one who represents, speaks for the Lord. Samuel is the only one that's supposed to be doing this this is not just a you did what I wanted to. Saul is stepping into Samuel's position. The king is now seeking to become the prophet, the one having the direct word, and God has set it up different. You may think, well, this isn't a big deal. No, trust me, it's a big deal. Because what's going on? Saul is completely disobeying how the Lord put things in place. Why would he do that? Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, boy, and that's got to be high pressure, and that you did not come within the days appointed. No, you did come in the day appointed. Here's the deal. You didn't come when I expected you to come on the day. Put it this way. So Samuel tells Saul, hey, uh, I'm going to come on the seventh day. Saul goes to his iPhone. Saul enters in on his calendar. Samuel's coming 5 p.m. on the seventh day. So ding, 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 he gets a 15-minute or an hour advance warning, 5 p.m. Okay, so he's getting ready. He's getting ready for Samuel to show up. It's 5 o'clock. Samuel's not there. And, And then let's just say it goes to 510 and he's not there. And then it goes to 515 and he's not there. It's still the seventh day but it just happened to be that the word of the Lord did not show up on his own time. But have you ever noticed in life and also through scripture, God has this way of showing up towards the end of the time? Why would God do that? To annoy us? Sometimes I think that. But actually, God is doing that because God is trying to grow us in our faith in him. So when his timer went off at 5 o'clock, and then Samuel isn't showing up at 5.10 or 5.15, Saul's thinking, apparently God forgot, and apparently it's okay for me to step into that. When I saw that the people were scattering from me pressure and that you did not come when I thought you were going to be coming and the Philistines had mustered at Micmash and Avon, they were taking over, I said to myself, now the Philistines will come down against me in Indianapolis and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. By the way, I thought I didn't make mention in the first service. Saul could have gone to the Lord himself, and prayed unto the Lord, and sought the Lord's favor, but what he is doing here is something far different than that. This isn't an individual thing. Saul is stepping into boundary territory that God has structured things as a people to do. Saul could have prayed unto the Lord. Saul could have fallen before the Lord. Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? But, but Saul is stepping into the prophet role here on what's going on. I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Hey, listen, Saul wanted the favor of the Lord, but he didn't want it. Well, we'll finish that in a little bit. I want the favor of the Lord. Do you? I totally want the favor of the Lord. Man, favor of the Lord, but, but we're gonna learn Saul sought the favor of the Lord without some other things, and we'll get there in just a second. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me in Indianapolis, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. (laughs) Might that be a little exaggerated? So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Jump down to verse 15, because we're going to come back. And Samuel arose, went up from Indianapolis... And the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went to Gilgal and to Gebe of South Plainfield. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Who cares? Because he just had like 3,000. Now he's down to 600. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, his son, by the way, that has some things, if you were to now, sometimes when you read your Bible, you come up to something and you go, now I wonder what the timeline, so was Saul a single guy when he was made king or was Saul married with children actually when he was made king? You can go do some research on that. And the people who were present with them stayed in Gebe of Plainfield, but the Philistines encamped in Avon. And the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. In other words, here's what the Philistines are doing. One company turned from Avon toward Ophrah. You think it's Oprah, but it's Ophrah Brownsburg. And the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Haran. They turned toward Danville and headed west. So one's headed north, one's headed west of the Philistines. And another company toward the border that looks toward the valley of Zeboam, toward the wilderness of Greenwood. I didn't put them up there because they're not on the west side. Um, (laughs) so and they're heading what's going on we're getting this idea the Philistines they're heading north they're going west they're going south they're beginning to mount the pressure pressure is building more and more verse 19 now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel for the Philistines said lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears but every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare his mattock which is like a pickaxe his axe or his sickle and the charge was Two thirds of a shekel for the plot. Why are we talking about this and who cares? Here's why. Let me just cut to the chase. We are being informed that what's going on is as this is all developing, the Israelites are now dependent on the Philistines. There's a turn that's happening. They have come in, the Israelites had been having success. Then the Philistines come in, pressure's added. They're hightailing it out of town, they're scared to death. And in all of this, what's taking place? The Philistines are the ones who have the technology. And the Israelites are now subservient to them. Friends, everything is turning upside down. And the pressure is squeezing in on Saul. What's he going to do? Because the wheels are coming off the bus. What's he going to do? That's the situation. That's the situation. We're going to learn more about what happens in the next two weeks in chapter 14. But let's do this. Let's turn from the situation. And let's turn to understand what's going on with Saul. Let's go from the desperation situation. And let's kind of turn around now to this whole idea of his dependence. His dependence. What's happening here? What's happening? Some passages of Scripture come to mind. Mark chapter 4. Jesus is with the disciples. Earlier in the day, he's taught on faith. The parable of the four soils. He's taught on what faith does not look like. And he's taught on what real faith looks like. Parable uh, soil number 4. Then the text tells us later that day, later in the day, the very day that Jesus has the teaching on faith, what does God have a way to do? God has a way to press us in it, to move us from the lecture into the laboratory. And so they go out on the Sea of Galilee, and what happens on the sea? A storm hits. A crazy storm. Now, some of the uh, disciples are fishermen by trade and profession who did fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They've been through storms before. And you know that when the fisherman says, we're going to die, you know that if you're not the fisherman, get ready, you're probably going to die. And the fishermen are saying we're gonna die and then in Mark chapter four after being taught about what faith looks like in the moment when the heat is applied to them by a sovereign loving God they turn around to Jesus in the boat who's asleep in the boat, ministry dead dog tired. They turn around to him and they go don't you care? Isn't that interesting? When the heat comes on Reality comes out. Mark chapter 4. Another passage that just comes to mind is Romans 8, 28 and 29. We love Romans 8:28, and we know that all things work together for good. And then here's the problem: we define the good. And then we like to define the good as to our comfort. Like the good is you're gonna go home and have a check in the mail, all of your problems are gonna be resolved and everything's gonna be good and comfortable. That's not at all what the text is saying. Romans 8:28 says, and we know that all things work together for good, verse 29, is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, we know that even hard things come into life for the goal and the objective that eventually it squeezes us to the point that we would grow through it and that we would grow in being more like, responding like, living like our Savior. It's not our comfort. It's that we would become more like Christ in it. Another passage of scripture comes to mind. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. It says, uh, no temptation is overtaking you, but the Greek word that's used there can also be used for trial. So no trial is overtaking you that is not coming to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be trialed beyond what you can bear. God is not in this to crush us. But with the trial... You will be given a way of escape that you may be able to stand up under it. Wait, the the, the last statement is the kicker of it all. What's the purpose of the trial? What's the purpose of the test? The purpose of the test is that we would be able to go through it and we would be able to grow and be able to stand stronger as a result of it. Another passage of Scripture that comes to mind is 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed, so that the life of Christ may be manifested in us, may be lived out in us, may be real in us. Hey, friends, we have a gospel that's being preached all around that is not the gospel of Scripture. It is a gospel that says, come to Jesus, and you will get everything you want, and you will have no problems. Um, I think Paul was waiting for that one because he says, we are afflicted in every way, persecuted, perplexed, and struck down. Apparently, he missed the lifeboat. No. Fact is, is that is not the gospel because God is not interested in your and my comfort right now in this time of redemptive history. The Lord is interested in our growth in our faith, in our maturing in him. But I don't want that. I just want comfort. You with me? Like, please, after two years, can we, like, chill? 28 days, one hour. (laughs) Okay. Hey, um, one more verse. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. New International Version says it this way, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and honor and glory when Christ is revealed. Friends, we Americans are buying into a false gospel. And I want to call it out. I want to straight up with you, lovingly call it out. Because here's what happens. We hear that and then you and I get in trials and we're thinking, what did we miss? What did we miss? And here's the fact of the matter. You haven't missed anything. That was not true. The fact is coming to Christ brings a reality of forgiveness and redemption. But we live in a time of redemptive history. This is not heaven on earth right now. We live in a war zone, and in it, God is more interested in growing our faith than he is providing our comfort. Are you with me? I'm trying to gauge what's going on. And I think some of it is, is we don't like that. And I am with you. Because I want heaven now because I am tired well let's get some help Saul's dependence reality verses 13 and 14 let's hit these what's going on and Samuel wait, let's go to verse 12 let me start there I said now the Philistines come down against me in Gilgal I have, saw, I have not sought the favor of the Lord let me say it this way Saul wanted the favor of the Lord But Samuel confronts him about three things he was missing. Here they are. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Now we read that in the English, and it kind of sounds like uh, you you made a mistake. Actually, it's much harsher in the Hebrew than that. This is like, Saul, you're being a fool. It's not just an oopsie. You've done foolishly big. And you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. You've got to understand, friends, this is not like miss it once and God crushes you out. That's not the point. There is something going on here in this situation that is revealing something so deep in Saul that God is going, nope, nope, nope. I, 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 it's gonna be harsh. Because listen, we're gonna read about David here in just a sec, and David, like David murdered a guy. David adultered. I didn't say that right, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And yet God called him his man, this isn't about God is waiting to crush you but in this particular situation there is something deep and dark going on here and Samuel addresses it through the Lord. And Samuel would have established uh, your kingdom. Uh, you would have established your kingdom it is forever, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord, Yahweh, has sought out a man after his own heart. God's already on to the next guy. Isn't that interesting? And the Lord, Yahweh, has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Here we go. Saul wanted the favor of the Lord, number one, without waiting for the Lord. Saul wanted the favor of the Lord without waiting for the Lord. Samuel had told him seven days. And Saul, understandably, listen, understandably, in the pressure and the heat of it all, when it came right down to it, I mean, my goodness, people are deserting him. They they are hiding, they're trembling, and it's past five o'clock. But it was still the seventh day. And when God says the seventh day, just as Jesus told the disciples, we're going to the other side... Just imagine if one of the disciples in the boat would have said, wait a second, he said we're going to the other side. And he is God in the flesh proclaiming truth and in this reality of it all, when he is stating that we're going to bank on what he said. And if he said we're going to the other side, hey boys, knuckle down, we're going to the other side. Imagine just one guy if he would have spoke up and brought truth to the table, how that would have helped. By the way, chapter 5 of Mark And they landed on the other side. Saul wanted the favor of the Lord, but he didn't want to wait for the Lord. It was on his own time, not the Lord's time. And the Lord just has this way of waiting to the last minute to push us, to press us, to grow us. And waiting for the favor of the Lord without, or wanting the favor of the Lord without waiting for the Lord, loved ones, it's a false faith. Because it's really not about faith in the Lord. It's about faith in how I see it. It's about my time, my way, and God isn't doing it in my time in the way that I would do it. So I guess I have to take matters into my own hands. Friends, wait for the Lord. Secondly, Saul wanted the favor of the Lord without the word of the Lord. This is the big one. Saul was waiting. Saul's waiting was to be about waiting for the Lord's words to come to the table. It was waiting for Samuel. And friends, what you value, you will wait for. What you value, you will wait for. And here for Saul, he valued the favor favor of the Lord over the actual word of the Lord. He valued the favor of the Lord over the actual word of the Lord. Therefore, because he wanted the favor of the Lord, he wasn't willing to wait for the word of the Lord because he valued the favor over the word of the Lord. And I get that. Sometimes I just want the favor, man. Hey God, anytime you want, pour the favor out. But the Lord is working in us to where we're to be dependent upon him. And he uses life to press into us on that. And when life is squeezing in, are you pausing, waiting, and asking yourself, what does God have to say about this? Friends, if you want life change, that's the thing that will change your life. I'm serious. That's the issue right there. That's the thing that is the difference between someone doing life in their own way versus someone pursuing life, doing it for the Lord. It's the person who in the moment of stress, in the moment of being pressed, pauses and ask themselves the question, what does God have to say about this? And by the way, I'm not saying look around the room and look for writing on the wall. I literally am saying pausing and what does God's word have to say about this? You're in a situation, uh, you're, you're, you're struggling to get angry with someone or some people about something's going on. You're being pressed by a situation and you're mad and you're hot and the whole thing. And what about just pausing for a second in your head and go, wait a second, what does the Lord have to say about this? Hey, uh, here's a couple thoughts. Matthew 7. Stop getting after the speck in everybody else's eye. Get after the log in your own. But things aren't happening in my time, in my way. Um, Get the log out of your eye. How about starting there? Rather than so ticked off that the kids, that the spouse, that are friends, that my co-workers didn't do it the way I thought it should be done, in the way that I thought it should be done, in the time that I thought it should be done. Oh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the war within your own heart? Because what's happening right now is not what I want when I want it, the way that I want it, and the way I see it should go. That's the war. What if we just pause, like, thinking those things for nanoseconds of it all? Pause. What does God have to say about this? And if you're like, I don't know what God has to say about it, then, friend, it's time to learn your Bible. And by the way, that's why we do this every week. You don't want to hear what I have to think about life. We want to hear what God's word has to say and learn it together. And we want to be people of this word, not this word, not your word, not anyone's word, this word. And when we come to know it and to love it and to see it, we begin applying it in the actions of our life. We're willing to wait and to pause. God, what do you have to say to me right now in this? And God's word should just be coming in your head. And if you're struggling to know what that is, then it's time to get in God's word. It's time to start getting with people to help you in that. Saul was not willing to wait for the word of God on what to do. And then lastly, by the way, did I hit? That's a false truth. Without the word of the Lord, it's false truth because it's your truth, it's my truth, it's someone else's truth. By the way, people who always talk about, well, this is what I believe, this is what I think. I'm just gonna be super blunt and say, who cares? Straight up, who cares? Because honestly, who are you? Because when you start doing that, do you realize that you are putting yourself on the seat of the throne of what is truth? So sorry to say that. But it's true. This is truth. And if what I think is this, then it's true. Lastly, Saul wanted the favor of the Lord without obedience to the Lord. See in verse 13 there, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord. Verse 14, Saul, you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. You know, we can know what's right to do, and then we don't want to do it. Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) Wanting the favor of the Lord without obedience to the Lord is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Since I'm being so straight up with this today, because I think this is so the heart of the matter for Saul and for life, and I'm not trying to be hard on the guy because we'll find out what happens with him and where he's really at and all this. But in this, Samuel's pressing into him hard. And Samuel's speaking the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is getting hard into Saul's heart here. And so I want to press something here. It's, uh, uh, wanting the favor of the Lord without obedience to the Lord is a false gospel. If you have come to receive Christ as your Savior, if you walked an aisle or you prayed a prayer and there has been no fruit change in your life, there's been no real desire to want to follow the Lord. I'm not saying to be perfect. Oh, God knows. None of us in this room are, right? But we are talking about there should be a desire and a want to be able to live for the Lord. If that has been left and wanting and not there, you have to ask yourself the question, do you really know the Lord? No, but see, Pastor Doug, I went forward when I was eight years old, and I prayed a prayer. Yeah, and now you're 28, and in the last 20 years, as you've been talking to me, there's like nothing that's been going on in your life that would show any life or any fruit or any desire for the Lord. Listen, dude, it's time to come to Christ. No, but eight years old. Really? You want to bank on that? are you wanting the favor of the Lord without obedience to the Lord? You are living a false gospel. And I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be harsh. I don't say that to be hellfire and brimstone, dude. Oh, so out with all that. But I say it because the Lord loves you. And sometimes his word has to confront us enough and put his face down and go, oh my word. I've been playing a game. I've been thoughtful. I've been respectful. I've even been humble. I've even been used by God in some times where I've seen that happen. And I'm kind of a country boy or a country girl at heart, just like Saul. And then Jesus, Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. Why? Because you wanted the favor of the Lord and all that the Lord would give you, is some kabuki God, But no obedience to. And loved one. If that's your story, I love you enough to say it straight up today. It's time to come to Christ. Whether you're a member of this church, a leader in this church, it's time to come to Christ. Whew, that's heavy stuff. There is no way to know who you really are until you've been tested. We are afflicted, 2 Corinthians 4, in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our lives. 1 Peter 1, these have come that your faith may be actually proved to be genuine. If you're in a season of life now where you're just really getting pressed on, love you, man. And we want to pray for your endurance and your encouragement. And I want to ask you, is the Lord trying to show you who you are and are you willing to just take a look at it and to learn and to grow through it? It's okay. He is not here to crush you. He is here to grow you. After the first service, had someone come up and say, "Uh, hey, we've just come out of a really squeezed season. And she said, I just want for people to know what the text is saying is true. If we're willing to see what the Lord would have for us in it, James chapter one, then even the hard things of life become blessings because it's not about our comfort it's about our growth and faith in the lord so lord i ask would you would you do as only you can do spirit of god would you move among would you lift up would you press into would you provide endurance Would you give us the will and the want for your good pleasure, as Philippians chapter 2 talks about. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who is just not really sure about where they're at in relationship with you. God, I pray that, that, that they would take that seriously. There is no more serious of a question or of issue to be able to seek out. And God, I would ask that they would ask and talk. Father, I pray you just give us wisdom and endurance. I pray that your loving kindness would just overwhelm us with who you are. Give us hope and help. And do it only you can do in our lives, I pray.